So before we get started, I want to tell you about the best thing that has happened to the podcasting world, and that is Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. You can go to anchor.fm slash start and join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. You can even find it on the App Store of any iPhone or Android. The app is called Anchor. That's A-N-C-H-O-R. so we're back at it hey doing awesome stuff with awesome people so um we have your buddy carlos we're waiting on him to facetime us yep um it's gonna be pretty interesting yeah a little background on uh carlos uh so yeah we are gonna have a little guest on the uh podcast today uh carlos is a buddy of mine about my age who spent his entire life in the U.S. and then uh, uh, ended up getting deported as an adult, um, you know, due in part to his illegal status. Um, so he never became an American citizen in his whole lifetime uh, here in the U.S., uh, which, you know, obviously speaks to how honestly difficult it is for anybody just walking in the door, even if they're born here, to become a citizen. So I felt like he might have some pretty compelling information and uh some pretty uh some pretty cool stuff to share with us that might give us a little insight as to what it's actually like to be on the other side of you know american citizenship so looking forward to that for sure i think he's ready now so um i'm gonna try to facetime him real quick so i was giving them some background i was just explaining you know i've known you for you know the better part of 10 years um i was explaining that you know, you live, you know, you were born here, lived your whole life here, but never attained legal citizenship. And, uh, we were, we were kind of talking about, um, just, you know, like, I didn't even know that you weren't a legal citizen until around the time that, that you got deported. So like just how easy it is for us to forget, you know, that not everybody here is a, is a legal citizen, even if they were born here. So, um, so yeah, so go ahead and uh, uh, just kind of introduce yourself. Like, yeah, all right. Well, uh, I'm Carlos Augustin. Um, 26. I've been in the United States for 25 years before uh, before I got deported. Uh, I've been there my entire life. I was born here in the state of Nayarit, oh, that's right. Mexico. And at about 15 days old, my mom took me over illegally. Um, the funny thing is, she was pregnant with me there. Uh, but because she was so young and I was her first kid, she was kind of afraid to like have me on her own, you know, no support system or anything like that. Right. Uh, besides my dad out there. And so they came back here, um, to the friends, family, uh, 15 days later, she took back off. Uh, and I never left the country again. 
But um, yeah, I mean, the, the fact that you mentioned that, uh, you know, some people didn't even know, you know, about um, people being illegal and stuff like that. Uh, sometimes I even forget, you know, that that's even a problem for me. Right, you know, my parents right. Have told me my whole life, you know, just, you know, be careful. Um, keep your head down. You know, we, we had to live under the radar for the longest time uh, because uh, my dad was the only one who had like a like permission to be in the states he had like a residency uh-huh. his whole life there uh-huh. uh my mom was illegal and uh, i was legal and uh, as far as i'm concerned the rest of our family was too and so um the um, so you know i would you know i wouldn't think it was that big of a deal and um i i was you know living my life normally i grew up normally uh in south dallas and um it never really I guess it never really entered my reality, you know, like the gravity of the situation of the immigration issue, because um, I knew so many people uh, that were there illegally, um, probably up until I was like, I think my last year of middle school is when it like, it started to like seep in, you know, I started seeing more people talk about it on the news. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents started talking about people being deported and um, the I guess the political system of the United States started like making sense to me, uh, and I started paying more attention. Uh, I think with the with the Obama election is really when I started to like hone in on like the immigration issue, um, just because uh, immigration was such a huge topic in that election. Um, Obama promising, you know, like the Dream Act and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, that's really when I started to like when it when the immigration issue really like set into my reality. Um, so like, but how does, how does that work exactly? Like, how did your dad have a legal residency, but, uh, why didn't it extend to you and your family? And why wasn't that fixed in the 25 years that you were there from, from childhood? So from my understanding, um, my dad is, uh, from the state of Chihuahua. Um, the border town of Juarez, uh, well, okay, so my understanding is that, like, any border town has this, uh, the same agreement with the states. Um, there's, like, a certain permission or, like, certain something that uh, lets people that live in border towns cross into the United States for um, work, uh, tourist, uh, there's a tourist option where you can just go uh, and then come back. Um some, some kind of permission. I'm not exactly sure what it is. Uh, and I might even be wrong, but this is the way my dad explained it to me. Um, he lived in that border town so long, and there used to be like, uh, I'm not sure if there still is, but there's like a permission um, or like some kind of visa or something that uh, allowed him to come work. Uh, and because he did it so long, eventually he ended up just applying for like a, for like a work visa. Okay. Um, and then through that, he obtained his residency because uh, he... He'd been in the States working legally for about 18 years or whatever. So when he applied for his residency, um, actually me and him got it at the same time. Um, around my, I think it was my sophomore year. Uh-huh. I want to say it was my so- sophomore year in high school. Um, 2012. No, I'm sorry, my, my junior year. Uh, 2012. Um, my uh, The Dream Act came into place. Uh, and so... It was basically um, the Obama administration put uh, put this uh, bill up, saying that um, you know if you were here if you were here as a minor uh, illegally if you were in the United States before 2008 um, and you're in school uh, you're working 
uh, and you're not a criminal, then um, you have you know a legal residency to be here and study and uh, and work legally. Um, it was basically like a, a like a full residency uh, or well temporary residency, mm-hmm. um, and it was my understanding that through that people would be able to like apply for citizenships. Um, you know, it would create a path later to citizenships and uh-huh. um, residencies and stuff like that. So in 2012, I applied for one. Uh, my dad did the same thing, and you know, we spent a lot of money, lawyers and uh, immigration, uh, uh, immigration equipments and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, uh, I got I got DACA. Uh, my dad got his residency, um, and then we were gonna work on my mom next. Um, so when I got that, it, I kind of. To me, I've, I've always had it pretty easy. You know, I've never had to struggle as much as my parents did when it came to, like, an immigration issue. You know, uh, until I got here to Mexico, I never really realized, like, the kind of sacrifices that my mom made, um, the kind of stuff that my dad did, you know, to kind of push our family forward. Uh, what and, what like, kind of... Like, coming from... A, yeah. Sorry, what what kind of sacrifices? Like, what, what do you mean specifically? My mom left here at a really young age. Yeah. Uh, you know, the more I look around town and uh, around this state, uh, it's a pretty small state. Um, it, the whole entire state is probably like um, maybe a little bit more than like the population of Dallas alone. Oh, and wow. So, yeah. So um, you see a lot of poverty. You see a lot of like people living, you know, day to day and stuff like that. Um, so the more I go out and the more I see it uh, and I'm exposed to it, um, I, you know, I think my mom, I think back to my mom being, you know, 16 years old, um, going from here to Dallas is probably about 30 hours. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I can just imagine the things that were going through her head and like, you know, she has a kid and she has to cross back and, you know, like back in those times, uh, my understanding is it was a lot easier crossing because of uh, immigration wasn't such a, a big issue back then, but mm-hmm. You know, people crossing now and, you know, trying to get over and uh, even trying to do things the right way and fix their status the right way is just, it's a really big hassle. And, um, you know, thinking back when I was a kid and I just, I I had it so easy, you know, I didn't have to struggle as much. And um, it's just, it's kind of eye opening. So, so, so um, when you were a kid and you had to do like doctor's appointments and you had to do like the dentist and you had to do things that every kid has to do to make sure that their development is going the way it needs to go. Were there any like signs that you were like, uh, why, why do I have to do it this way? But all my friends have to do it another way. Like what, what were some of the, some of the ways like was it did you just go to the doctor did you just go to the dentist was there any hiccup there or or was it was there something uh, uh yeah so um I, I mean you know i'm sure i wasn't going to the same offices there was like uh you know latino run offices and stuff mm-hmm. like that yeah that makes sense um for the most part my parents did a really good job of making sure that me and my my siblings grew up pretty normal yeah um, i mean when i met you you, you know, had like braces i mean yeah <laughs> um there and there's all kinds of like Latino run offices and the doctors and dentists and all that good stuff. Um, I, I didn't really, I just kind of assumed that everybody went to like the same doctors where they went to their own family doctors and stuff. And uh-huh. you know, we got ours. So, uh, like I said, my parents did a really good job of making sure uh, me and my siblings were pretty normal. So, awesome. uh, that, that reality just wasn't, you know, my parents would tell me all the time, you know, like keep your nose clean and stay out of trouble and stuff because, you know, at any minute they can take away your residency or whatever. And, you know, I would just kind of, 
brush it off and like, yeah, yeah, you know, no, no big deal. Cause you know, I never thought I'd be in that kind of situation. And, um, the sad thing is, man, like you said, um, there's a lot of people and a lot of friends that I knew growing up with. They wouldn't even, you know, till recently, you know, I came out public with my, with my situation. Mm-hmm. They came and told me, they're like, man, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that you're saying stuff like that because, you know, I'm at risk too and stuff. And, you know, they, they've confided to me and told me, you know, about their situation. Uh, as recent as yesterday, actually, somebody reached out to me, somebody I went to college with, um, he apparently got a DWI and, mm. um, now he's facing removal too. And so, um, I just, I guess I never realized how common this, uh, the issue is and, uh, the gratitude of the situation. So, but, oh, sorry, yeah. go ahead. Uh, basically, um, I was just going to start, uh, explaining the way my whole removal process, uh, went down. Well, first, um, first I wanted to ask, yeah, um, so the last, the last thing I wanted to kind of touch base on is, I mean, you were, you had jobs, you were working, like you were, you were yeah. paying, paying taxes. taxes. Yeah. Like yeah. how, yeah. how, um, I mean, how did, how did all that go for you? Like you, you, you were pretty much in every sense of the word operating as an American citizen. You were paying taxes. I mean, did you have a driver's license? Yeah, I did actually. Yeah. So uh, you, you, you were I, a licensed driver. Yes, yes, I was. Um, when I was 18 is when I got my license, actually, because uh, by the time I was 16, I hadn't had my residence yet uh, or my DACA yet. And so w- once I got my DACA, that opened, you know, I was paying taxes, I was working legally, and then uh, uh, I was able to apply for my license and all that. I was even able to vote. I voted in the 2008 election, not 2008, sorry, his, um, the following term, it, Obama's second term was the, uh, the time I was allowed to Yeah, 2012? First time, so. Or- Yes. Yeah. Uh, twin. Was it twenty twelve? Two thousand eight. Yeah. Yeah. Four, yeah. Four years. So, yeah. Um, so, well, damn. And so, so you were able to vote. You had a license. You had a job. Like, did, where, I was under the impression that I had my citizenship. Uh, it, I wasn't oh. aware until later that it was just a residency. So I was, you know, oh. in high school and uh, the first. I think till the first year of college, I was. I was under the impression that I was a citizen and it was good until my parents were like, no, this is what we keep trying to tell you. You're, you're not a citizen. Your residency could be taken away at any moment. Uh, it's, it's just by the grace of God alone and the fact that, you know, the, the Obama administration put this act in that you're here. Otherwise, you know, you're subject to be deported like anybody else. But that residency is the only thing that's keeping you here. So, wow. um, that all that stuff didn't really make a lot of sense until like I, I was facing uh, my deportation. So uh, when I really wow. started to like buckle down and um, get more informed on the situation. Okay, so so yeah, now I, now I feel like is a good time to kind of dip into the whole removal process and what what that was all about because again, a lot of people don't understand how how. Uh, thin of a line you were treading you know that not a lot of people understand like how how uh, delicate the situation was so i mean what did what did you actually do in order for the u.s government to decide that you probably shouldn't live here anymore you know what i mean yeah so um in, in 2012 um my second year of co- or my second or third year my second year of college um i got into some trouble um, it was like after midterms or no, it was, yeah, it was after exams. Um, we were, me and a couple friends were out at the beach and we went to go celebrate. Um, 
Uh, long story short, uh, Beach Patrol came and told us to, uh, you know, put out the bonfire and stuff, and you know, we had to we had to take off. Beach was closed. Um, we, they were pretty cool. You know, we we started packing up and uh, we put out the fire and stuff. Um, the only thing is, like the stakes that we used, uh, the really big uh, pallets that mm-hmm. um, we we got from behind like Walmart or something. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Just kind of let people take them, and so they had nails in them. Uh, and so we didn't know that we were supposed to, you know, take the nails out before, uh, because, uh, you know, if we let it burn to the ground, somebody could come and, uh, step on them on the beach and stuff. And, you know, that's not cool. So, right, right. uh, but they didn't say anything about that. Um, about, you know, five minutes after they left, we have like a squad car coming, like flying down the beach. Um, this guy was kind of an asshole and he was like, he was, he was really rude. Uh, was, started yelling at people and, uh, you know, was calling us idiots and stuff like that. And, you know, like get off the beach or whatever. Uh, one of my friends was yelling at him. Uh, then, you know, I, I chimed back and stuff and, you know, started getting to like a back and forth. Yeah. Um, and then there was an altercation with the police officer. Um, altercation. I, do you mean just like a verbal argument or like, uh, no, it was a physical altercation. Uh, I put mm. my hands on the police officer and, mm. uh, I caught, I caught an assault on a public servant. Um, it, it was pretty bad. Uh, I don't really want to get into details, but it was right, pretty bad. Right. So I went, I went to court uh, with my lawyer. Um, they beat me up pretty good. Um, Do like, you mean legally or, or physically? Uh, like physically, they beat me up pretty good. Um, okay. So my lawyer tried to turn it around and fight it as police brutality and stuff. Uh, we we were gonna take it to trial. Uh-huh. We ended up coming to an agreement with the state for like a like a plea deal. Uh, I, you know, looking back on it now, I probably should have fought it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm 18, 19 years right. old. Right. No, it's uh, not, it's not easy to felony. just, yeah, they're, yeah. uh, they're, um, I guess they're trying to scare me, you know, with like prison time and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my mind is, you know, so you mean I signed this and I don't go to prison? Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, so I went ahead and took the plea deal. Uh, like I said, I probably should have fought it, but... Was there any, like, uh, fine print? Was there any, like, fine um, print in that? Like, saying, like, that you didn't know about? Like, signing the plea deal is kind of like you're going back yeah, to Mexico? Kind of, it's, it's, so, I didn't really get, like, um, good consultation. Um, the lawyer that I have now, who fought my other case when, you know, when I was uh, being moved from the county to um, to immigration... Um, he's a much better lawyer now and he's like, man, like, you know, if I was your lawyer at the time, we really could, I, you know, we, we could reopen the case and fight it, uh, just because you have better consultation and stuff. And, um, but, um, so basically it's, uh, the plea deal was, uh, I agreed to four years of deferred probation. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize that by signing that and agreeing to that, um, I was, you know, admitting guilt, um, and plead, uh, plead yeah. guilty. Yeah. And so, um. I don't, I don't technically have the felonies, but until my probation is over, uh, I, I can't, um, start the process to get them off my record. Right. Um, right. It's so, gotta be deferred. Right. So I, I signed for four years deferred probation. Um, October of 2019, uh, because the, when I, when it happened was December. So it leaked over, uh, my, my case, process me through until about all the way until April of 2019. So when I signed, it was actually April of 2019 Four four years of probation. I would have, I would have finished probation. Uh, I only had a couple months left. Uh, and actually when I went down the court, 
in uh, 2019, January of 2019, I was supposed, I, it was supposed to be a hearing to let me off early. Oh. Um, but that's where immigration caught me. Uh, anyway, so I signed for four years deferred probation um, to finish October of 2019. Um, I had classes to do and I had uh, certain fines and fees that I had to pay. Um, so this whole time they're still treating you like an American citizen? Uh, yes. And trying you, court, yes. trying you just like they would try any other American? Yes. See, the catch, the, the catch with that was my DACA started, uh, um, started in June of 2012 when I renewed, uh, because it's, um, I think at the time you were, um, you were allowed to have DACA for two, two or four years. I think it's two, four and six years. Um, the one I had was for four years, I believe. Um, no, two years, two years, sorry. Cause I got in 2012. So I reapplied before um before i got into that altercation in 2014 so when i got approved of 2014 uh it extended me all the way to i think it was four years so it extended me to all the way to 2018 i believe right and so january of 2018 was the was when my residency was valid. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, okay, so it expired January of 2019. Um, when I when I went to court, uh, and I, when I went to renew, um, my, you know, my case was still pending. So technically, I didn't have the charges or anything like that. When they got my biometrics and uh, all that good stuff, you know, none of it came up. Um, I didn't realize that by signing that, uh, I wasn't able to re-register and um, uh, reapply for DACA yeah. uh, because it is it is for criminals and you know facing felonies. So it wasn't even so, the fine print on the plea deal; it was the fine print of the DACA deal that uh, yeah they they, they pretty DACA much wow. So if you have yeah. a felony, there's no like reapplying for the they DACA. Didn't, they didn't tell me anything at court that, you know, it was going to, it was going to hinder my DACA process or, um, or I'd be up for removal or anything like that. So when we reapplied, um, you know, our immigration lawyer went and talked to my parents and they're like, uh, until he gets, the, um, this probation situation taken care of, he's not gonna, he's not gonna be able to reapply for, uh, for anything. Um, he might even be subject to removal. So were you working at the time? Um, Did you have a job? Yes, I did. Uh, thankfully, um, in 2018, um, I was already established where I was. Uh, you know, I got in legally and stuff like that. And um, I'm not sure why the, the company I was with wasn't reporting, uh, you know, that my, my status was was done. You know, the, the IRS or um, um, the state wasn't looking into it or whatever. So I was, you know, I was from 2018 up until that the whole year of 2018 I, was, uh, I guess technically i was working there legally but you know since i was already established legally uh the whole all the paperwork was done so um long story short um i continue my probation keep my nose clean you know i don't i don't run into any more trouble or anything like that um i i got a letter uh well when I, my probation was in corpus um which is where i was in school mm -hmm. So in 2016, I moved back home uh, and I started living back home again, or 2017, sorry. In 2017, I moved back home. Uh, February 2017, I moved back home to Dallas. Uh, I started working in Dallas. Uh, you know, I started 
moving my probation, started getting my life back on track, and um, I started doing really well for myself. Uh, I, I bought myself a car, a house. Um, I was pretty established. Uh, I was getting ready to finish my probation in 2018 when, um, because of the house that I bought was um, out of the Dallas district when I initially moved to, to um, when, I, when I moved to, when I moved from, da- from Corpus to Dallas, um, the probation process had to be transferred over to Dallas County. Right. Um, I was, I was staying at a friend's house uh, for that time until I got on my feet. And then finally, when I was able to afford my house, uh, my house wasn't technically in Dallas. Uh, at least that's what, what my understanding was that it was in, in, in that when we looked it up uh, at the probation office in Dallas, uh, my probation worker told me that it wasn't in Dallas County, so I had to transfer to Denton County. Um, uh, so uh, the the transfer process takes maybe about two to four months, something right, like that. Right, right, right. So I, I heard from Denton County. I went and reported to Denton County whenever um, I had to. The first day that I got there uh, and I met uh, who, the guy who was supposed to be my probation worker, um, we looked it up on the computer too, and he told me that, you know, he's like, hey, look, your apartment complex is right on the line of Dallas and Denton County and your particular building has a different area code than everybody else's over here. Technically you're still in Dallas County. So what we're going to do is we're going to send you back to Dallas County. Uh, you get, yeah, you can imagine my headache and uh, just all the time wasted and stuff. Uh, I wasted maybe about six months that you know, I could have I mean, been doing my, my, do my payments and just ready to get off probation in that time. So, well, I mean, as um, somebody who's, who's also been on probation before, I mean, don't you just, you just have to do what the call in or the mail in or whatever for the, for right. The... Right. I was, mail, I was, yeah, I was mailing in, but uh, nothing was really being productive. I couldn't register for like my last class uh-huh. because, um, I had, I had to be, I had to register within that County uh-huh. uh, because they have this certain set of like classes and rules and stuff like that. That's approved already on the list and stuff to go, to go do. And so until I was like out of county and had that list and knew where to go um, register for the class, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't do it. Um, so when I, uh, while I was calling in, or no, I'm sorry, while I was doing the mail-in orders, um, I was I was moving from Dallas and, and Denton and stuff. Uh, somewhere in that process, um, something got like. Um, What's it called? Um, there was some kind of notification that uh, that one of the officers got that they didn't relay it to me. Um, I had um, I had to go back to Corpus and like check in. Uh, I did it once in 2000 and at the beginning of 2018. Uh, it was Why? just like I had to go back to I had to go back to my county. Uh, it was like a like a like a checkup report to see how I'm doing, see if I'm like uh, keeping up with probation and stuff. Um, it was like a what's it called? Um, like an update, pretty much. Uh-huh. So I went. Uh, I stood in front of the judge, um, and um, he was like, "Your your doctor's expired." And I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Look, if if you know immigration comes and interferes, I can't do anything because they're federal. You know, like that's that's a whole other issue." So uh, he's like, "But yeah, you know, like uh, we seem to be on track." I, actually, I actually asked him to extend my probation because I didn't think I was going to be able to finish on time with you know my fees and stuff, uh, just because I was still trying to get back to my feet and I was looking in for uh, to a house and stuff. And he was like, look, Mr. Ramirez, you, you're ahead on your payments. Uh, you know, you're up to date on your classes. Uh, I don't, I don't, let's just see, you know, how you, how you do. And uh, we'll worry about extending your probation later if, if you need it. And so 
I'm, I'm a little confused by that. What do you mean extend your probation? Uh, give him more time. Had, There's I still fees. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, okay. Fees and classes okay. and stuff. So I didn't think I was going to be able to finish in time just because I was looking into buying a house and stuff. I see. I just got a car okay. and stuff. So, um, he, you know, the judge said I was doing good and he let me continue my probation. And, um, I had another, uh, I had another one of those, or I thought it was another one of those updates. Um, you know, I, I, I called my lawyer. Um, this was like, they, they set the, um, the update for January 4th of 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was towards the end of the, it was towards the end of the year where I got it. Um, I asked my girlfriend to go with me just because I, I was feeling really uneasy about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Understandably. Just it wasn't like, it wasn't the same as the first time. And, um, so she agreed she was going to go with me the night before, you know, we, um, just out of like a precaution. We, we checked on, on the website online to see if, you know, I had any cases open, nothing. I was clear. Uh, we checked to see if I had any warrants, you know, just in case for the drive down um, to Corpus. It's about a seven-hour drive. So, uh, you know, if I got stopped for like a speeding ticket or something like that and I had a warrant, they would just take me in because I'm on probation. So right. um, we checked and I was clear. You know, I called my lawyer and even my lawyer's like, I don't I don't have anything for you. Uh, you don't have a court date or anything. Uh, he's like, if you, if you want you know, you don't even have to come. I'll, I'll go for you and stuff. And, you know, that that right there didn't even sound right to me. You know, I, I thought about it. I was like, you know what? Like, you know, if my lawyer is telling me, you know, it's for good reason. But, you know, I just don't want something stupid to happen. Like, you know, I do I do end up having a court date and I don't show up. And then, you know, I have another charge, you know, failure to appear. Which is well, but see, and that's, that's that kind of speaks to how just not only nerve-wracking, but not... Like, like, it seems almost like, like the chain of communication is, is purposefully, um, obstructed. Like it's not the, like the, the agencies don't communicate with each other and the only ones who really understand the language are the lawyers, you know what I mean? So it, 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 it makes, I feel like it manipulates people into making the wrong decision, maybe even an incriminating decision because you just don't know the communication isn't effective enough that there is you know it's not beyond the shadow of a doubt it's like a vague statement of be here at this place in time and if they're not on time or if they're not you know organized or whatever it's fine but if you miss it by a hair you know the whole hammer can come down on you and it's it's all very arbitrary and very uh very uh, convoluted in my opinion i feel like it's it's just made in such a way that the whole the whole uh system of of how the courts communicate to especially people on probation and you know just just citizens who are who have to you know do business with them i guess if that's what you want to call it and it might be that one part of our government wants it that way right i mean i feel like a few parts might but it's just i mean it it seems almost predatory you know what i mean it seems, it seems, it seems yeah, almost that's, that's not an uncommon thought because, uh, I mean, I, I'm sure nobody really pays attention to it because, you know, it's a lot of people that have been convicted and a lot of people that are coming out of jail or prison or something, you know, that are talking about it. You know, the system is really designed to make you fail. Uh, mm-hmm. Probation is kind of like a trap. Uh, that and traps that's you absolutely, and, like, and, and that's and, not like, just, that's not just for illegal immigrants that's the same for yeah, american, american citizens, citizens. 100%. you know once right. they lock you once you get into the system it has its way of keeping you there yeah and making sure. it as hard as possible to get out 
Yeah, I just I think it's it's kind of hard to like take seriously because you know it's coming from the mouths of people that have been institutionalized and people that like that have that record in the history. So nobody you know nobody really bats an eye or even like thinks to you know really pay attention until they. It directly affects you or right you because know, somebody that happens to so yeah um the way that i hear it all the time is you know permission is just set for you to fail uh yeah. it's kind of ass backwards because parole you know they're the ones trying to keep people out of prison and you know trying to keep people from from going back to prison and stuff and probation is you know trying to like lock you up and trying to get you to go do that time uh and i'm sure you know i'm sure there's a lot of truth to it you know there's like money tied to it it's a political thing or something a lot of the prisons in texas are you know privately owned yeah. and so mm-hmm. I, i'm sure there's some kind of um corruption there so um, well i mean just the idea that there's a whole business model that incentivizes you know apprehending people you know, locking them up. The 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 fact that that's incentivized and keeping as a, them as a, in that system as a very like a very uh, profitable you know business model. That that's a little concern. That's very really concerning. concerning to me. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and quite literally, you know the the they they quite literally have like the police in their pocket too because you know if there there aren't any criminals there isn't anybody to arrest and if there isn't anybody to arrest you know what are you really doing they're not making and then the police aren't making money if there's nobody to arrest because they have quotas to fill as well right well okay so i feel like i kind of derailed where you were going with that though so so we were getting to um we were getting to your actual apprehension uh i believe yeah like that's what we were getting to they were summoned back to corpus for a second time or Right. So, um, you know, so, uh, we, we checked online and didn't have any warrants. I was good to go. Uh, I didn't have a court date. I didn't have anything. Um, and you know, my girlfriend was like really like adamant. She was like, you know, like if your lawyer's telling you don't go, and I, you know, I personally wouldn't go, uh, but you know, if it makes you feel better and it, and it helps you sleep later, then, you know, we'll go I'll, I'll, I'll support you and we'll go down there. Um, On January fourth, we uh, we we woke up like maybe like three in the morning, four in the morning to drive down to Corpus uh, to make it in time for my meeting. Um, everything was you know as normal as possible. Um, I went, I checked in, um, everything was good. I was clear. Uh, pretty much same thing that you know happened the first time. Leaving the office um, or leaving the courtroom, the um, I got I got stopped walking out of the door and um, somebody was like, "Hey, uh, Mr. Ramirez," and I was like, uh, "Yeah." And they were like, "Do you know who I am?" Uh, no, dude, no clue. So he pulls out a badge and he flashes it to me, and it, it's it was like um, immigration, customs, and something, something or whatever. Ice. Um, it was basically ice, yeah. yeah. And so uh, he was like, uh, "I need you to step to the side. Uh, I have a couple questions." So he pulled me into a room, um, and immediately he was like. Um, you know, I need, I need you to, I need you to be hundred percent honest with me because anything you say, you know, can and will hurt you. And, um, he's like, what's your name? And I was like, uh, Carlos Ramirez is like, I need your full entire name. So I gave him my full name and, uh, he was like, where were you born? Uh, I kind of choked up and immediately I was like, dude, look, please, please don't do this. Like I, I've been here my entire life. I've had DACA, I've had my residency. You know, I, I, I've never even left the country. I, the, the language that I speak is English. Like come on i'm like i'm a taxpayer uh i'm a i'm a taxpayer 
like, please don't do this or whatever. He's like, look, I, you know, I got a job to do too. It's not like I, I came and, and wanted to do this to you. You know, I don't, I don't even know you dude, but you know, I, I just, I have a job to do. I'm going to send you your information and you know, you know, if they tell me they want your fingerprints then I got to take you in. And if not, then, you know, I've done my job. So it did. Um, I mean, I mean, I might be wrong about this, but it didn't sound exactly like his hand was forced. I mean, he picked this, that job. He works yeah, voluntarily. Like nobody, nobody. You know what I mean? Like he chooses. It's just a bunch of crap that he, yeah. he was trying to tell me to, yeah, okay. to comply with. Right. Her. We we all agree on that. All right. Keep, yeah, keep, I mean keep that's going. kind of just his. I mean, he chose to do that for a living. And even though, like, that, it might have not have been, like, the same rules under the Obama administration and they weren't so emboldened to step out and make these uh, arrests, whatever you want to call it, under the Trump administration, they have definitely been emboldened. And, uh, I mean, it's his line of work that he just sat there and lied in your face. It's kind of... Yeah, Fuck. yeah, it, it it paints a certain picture. Yeah, uh, but go ahead, yeah. keep going. So, so you were you were telling him, you know, hey, I gave don't. I gave him all my information pretty yeah. much. Um, I yeah, I was I was pleading him. I'm like, dude, like, don't please don't do this. He he had to keep me he had to keep me in county overnight. Um, and while he sent in all my information, um, I'm getting ready to be uh, to be released, or so I thought. Um. The, you know, they, they took me back into the holding cells and, um, I was, I was in the, the release tank. And so I'm like, man, you know, okay, I'm, I'm good. Uh, once I'm out of here, you know, I'm gone. He, he sent to my info with nothing. Um, he, he came in, he talked to me, he's like, Hey, um, they want, they want your fingerprints. Um, you have an immigration hold and, uh, my, you know, my heart sank. And I, I was just thinking, man, you know, like my, my life is pretty much over, you know, like I'm, what am I going to do? You know, I'm, I'm in jail. You know, I, um, thankfully, you know, my boss knew the situation and, um, he didn't put me on the schedule for the following week. Um, but, you know, I, you know, I had a house to pay, uh, my car was already paid thankfully, but you know, I had, I had bills, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I was kind of ready for the situation just because, you know, I knew that it could be a possibility. So, you know, I had money saved up and stuff like that. And I was, I had, I went ahead and made the preparations. Did you, um, did you have a social security card? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, I had a social security number and everything. So you got like a credit score and and all of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, hell yeah. All right, Um, keep going. Sorry. (laughs) Basically an American citizen. Basically. Pretty much, yeah. Um, just without the title. Um, without the privileges. Yeah. So, uh, the, the thing about DACA was that like, um, uh, apparently technically there wasn't like a direct pathway for you to like, um, to citizenship, you know, it, it was only like a temporary residency for people to be here and live like normally. Uh, it's like, like a bandaid. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but you know, when, when I first applied for it and, and then, uh, my understanding when I got it was that, you know, after being in the States, being a resident in the States for so long, I think it's about four years or five years, maybe you're allowed to uh, apply for a citizenship. Um, at least that's how my dad did it. My dad is currently waiting, you know, to be a citizen. He's a, he's a permanent residency. So, you know, they, they're, they're not going to take that away from him. He's not a criminal or anything. He's never even had so much as a speeding ticket, but, um, he, um, 
he applied for his citizenship way back when they gave him his residency, so now we're just waiting on that. But that process takes forever, so... When you say forever, um, do you have, like, a ballpark estimate? About 20 years. Woo! 20 years, something like that. It's a long time. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know if you guys have seen any posts, or whatever. Maybe, maybe it's because I'm Hispanic and I see it a lot more, but... Um, I, I've seen posts from people, you know, they're, you know, my parents have been waiting for like 30 something years or something like 30 that. 30 you know, years. Parents Their parents are, are like, you know, 50, 60 years old and finally getting their residency or their citizenship, you know, mm. and, you know, they celebrate and the first thing they want to do is come to Mexico because they weren't allowed to leave. They've been in the States so long, you know, and, you know, they miss all their family and friends from back home. And um, the first thing they do is they want to come back to Mexico. So uh, it's, it's a blessing, man. You know, it's, it's a really, it's a, People don't realize just how long and lengthy the process is, and how much money and time and uh, lawyers go into it, and you know, like the amount of effort it is to be a citizen in the United States these days. And so, um, we're waiting for my dad to do that. And I mean, you um, when you when you put that on on a scale of you know millions and millions of people trying to work through that process, just the just the ridiculous amount of hoops that you have to jump through. It's it's all but discouraging people to immigrate you you know what i mean like it's 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 almost like they don't actually want you to come here legally they just want to milk you for all the the work and labor and tax money they can milk you for yeah and they're gonna take all of that whenever you step out of line they can just send you back and and set another person in their place with similar goals and and ideas and then that and that's what that's what kills me the most, man, is that, like, one of the biggest arguments is, like, you know, people, uh, we have, like, 11 million, uh, I think it's a high, way higher number now, but we have 11 million undocumented, undocumented um, immigrants here that, you know, they're just reaping benefits and, like, um, they're not paying taxes and stuff. That, 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 that's my biggest, biggest pet peeve and what hurts me the most is that, like, all of these people are paying taxes. They're, like there, there's some kind of like IT number that they use. They, they're paying tax uh, as illegal as they are. They're still they're they're hard work, and you know their hourly income is being taxed. They're paying taxes. They pay taxes when when they go buy something. They're they're paying sales tax. You know, they're mm-hmm. paying taxes to the state and all that. Um, when I in 2016, when I when I tried to apply for for these benefits that like uh, you know I, I I didn't have any money and stuff I was I was applying for like emergency food stamps or something like that. I wait was it 2016 or 2018? Either way. Well, whenever whenever my um whenever my my DACA wasn't able to be renewed um and I was applying for these um they told me that I had to be a legal yeah it was 2016 they they told me I had to be a, a legal resident um for at least five years um, to apply for, you know, uh, state benefits like that. Uh, when I had my, when I applied for my DACA for the first time was 2012, so when I received it in 2012, 2017 should have been the first year that uh, I was able to start re- uh, receiving benefits. Um, so they, they denied me, you know, food stamps and stuff like that. Uh, I wasn't apl- uh, able to apply for healthcare, Medicaid, uh, anything like that. Um, so, you know, it just really confuses me, you know, like somebody who's been there and who's tried to like apply for these benefits and, the, and, and being rejected um, on the simple fact that, you know, I haven't been a resident long enough. Where, where are my benefits, you know, like we're, right. I, I'm right. not understanding where this argument is coming from. You're going, um, you're going through all the legal. 
Yeah, you're going through all the hoops and all the all the same legwork that an American citizen goes through to get, you know, be entitled or eligible for these kinds of benefits. You're putting the same amount into the pot, but the pot says, no, you can't have any back. You know what I mean? I, I right. fundamentally disagree with that. Like if you're if you're doing the, the same work that, or more, you know, if you're if you're if you're contributing, then there should be some kind of, you know, some kind of kickback, especially considering the the just insanely huge number of, of, you know, people who are working here illegally and just the insane amount that they contribute in, in tax money alone. You know, I don't know the exact number, but I know that it's, you know, and even building our communities. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I mean, like, I mean, that might, that might be a little stereotypical, but it's, it's, I'm pretty sure it's statistically supported that, you know, the vast majority of of people who are working here illegally are, are, or excuse me, let me let me rephrase that. The vast majority of jobs that people don't want to work are occupied by people who will take whatever work that they can get, namely, you know, illegal immigrants. Yeah. yeah, undocumented immigrants. So, um, yeah, that I mean, whew, man, that's a lot. That's a lot to that, unpack right and, there. And, you know, I, I stop to think about that a lot, man. You know, like the number is so high that um, it's in the millions of, of people that are there illegally. And so if you know, if you made them citizens and and actually put like a like a dollar tax figure on that and, and started taxing, you know, their, um, something that that's already being done anyway. They would take that. You, you know, what, what, yeah. What would that do for the economy? You know, like mm-hmm. what, would that, what would that do for like everybody's well being? you know, like all that surge of money is coming in now, you know, well, people and, aren't like being paid under the table and stuff, you know, it, it's being documented. So, and, and just the, uh, the, oh, dang, what was I going to say? the uh the how heavily our our certain labor markets rely on undocumented workers you know what i mean like like just if if there was a a more thorough pathway to make sure that they get you know they get to to enjoy the goods of their labor as much as you know their employer then you know if it if it's a mutually beneficial system i feel like that encourages the kind of 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 uh mutually beneficial commerce that we want to that we want to encourage the, the the way that says that I as a worker am compensated fairly with you know good benefits and I'm taken care of essentially by the society that I'm supporting with my labor and then the employer you know gets to uh, gets gets to benefit off of an incredible worker who's you know gonna gonna do everything that they need to do to to meet the company goals et cetera et cetera so I feel like I feel like it should be a lot more mutual I feel like uh, undocumented workers are not only being mischaracterized marginalized. And, uh, I, I think that they're being, uh, just completely taken advantage of and then having a bad picture painted of them so that nobody wants to stop taking advantage of them. Yeah. See what I'm saying? There's that whole, there's the whole thing where they, they want to label illegal immigrants as racist, as, you know, they're a bunch of criminals, uh, drug lords, whatever, you know, they're, they're saying, you know, they're coming over here, they're criminals and if 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 they're criminals and they're over here they're going back um but like even in your situation what happened with you you know how you caught your felony charge you didn't do that because you were born in mexico like americans do the same shit we are the same kind of criminals we do the same kind of criminal activities um but like the the frame that that isaiah was just painting about, you know, maybe there could be a way that, you know, we can put like a, a, a tax on immigrants, paychecks, 
you know, that's going to help our economy still, you know, you're paying more taxes, but you have the privilege of living here and you get access to these privileges. Uh, I feel like there, there is, there's a good way to work this out. I don't know exactly what it is, but that might be an option. Um, but there's the, the racial, the, like the racial stigmatism of like, you're a criminal and we have to get rid of you because you punched that cop and you have to go back to Mexico. Uh, even though you've been here your entire life, you have a social security number, you pay your taxes, you're working, you're doing, you're living the life of an American citizen. But because you were born in Mexico and you punched a cop, you, you don't get any of the privileges that you worked your whole life so hard for. Um, Americans punch cops all the fucking time. And, and we don't lose, I mean, we, you, can, you go to jail, you know, you spend, you do your time, you go to probation, you take care of that, and you get back on a straight and narrow path, but they don't allow that same opportunity for you just because you were, you lived in Mexico for like one year? I didn't, I've never been to Mexico. When I got deported was the first time me entering Mexico, and so. Really, so. I've, I've been in the States all 25 years that, that I was living in, in the States, or, yeah. So. You were you you weren't born in Mexico. You were born here. I was born in Mexico, and about fifteen days later, my mom took me over illegally. Right. So you spent fifteen days in Mexico, and right, and you got into a altercation with a police officer. You made a mistake. You knew it was a mistake. You shouldn't have done it. Yeah. And but now now they say you're a criminal. Now one thing I wanted yeah, to ask is like. Yeah. I mean, in your opinion, do you think that you deserve to be in Mexico specifically for assaulting a police officer? Like, do you think that there's an argument to be made that says, hey, you know, if, if you've gotten to the point where you're, you're attacking law enforcement and you're a threat to society, do you, do you feel like that argument holds any real water? Or do you feel like that's, um, that's kind of a cop-out? I, I, it's definitely a cop-out. Uh, I, I guess my opinion on that is, you know, like, it... it if that crime was, was sincerely that, you know, that if it was that big of a crime, um, or my, my specific case, um, I, I would probably still be locked up, you know? Um, well, even if it was that, that even if it was that big of a crime, all the Americans who do the same exact thing should be facing way more severe consequences, never seeing their freedom ever again. Well, um, I guess well, to be okay. So the the charge that uh, that carries is, is a two to ten year charge. Uh, it's a third degree felony. You know, it's not it's not that big of a charge. I mean, it's a felony, but um, so uh, you know, if I if I was to, let's say the judge gave me the the whole max ten year sentence on that, I would still be locked up in jail. Um, you know that that I guess seems like a fair punishment for you know the stupidity that I did. You know, don't go around punching cops. You know that. There's there's no way to spin that. I shouldn't have done what I did. Um, you know, it is what it is. It happened the way it happened, and I, I learned from that. Uh, I but I do, however, think that you know, I I signed a document, you mm -hmm. know, saying that I was going to complete my probation. Uh, I I went to my classes. I I did that time. You know, I did I did the the rehab. You know, the cognitive rehab uh, for anger management and stuff like that. You know, I took my courses. I, I I'm paying my clients. You know, I, I, I work here, you know, I haven't caught a case since then with, 
you know, like what, what's the issue? Right, you right. Know, like, I don't, I don't think, because, you know, like because something that I did when I was a teenager is going to affect the rest of my life. Like that, that's what blows my mind. You know, stuff yeah. like scenarios like that where like, um, I, I don't know if you guys are like uh, in, into the whole political world at all. Uh, I myself am barely starting to dabble into it. Uh, but there's a, a senator in the in in New York's 14th district. Her name is Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, mm-hmm. who I, I'm completely infatuated with. I, I I love that girl so much. She she's beautiful to me. She's super educated, and and talks about like she she's not afraid to talk about like real issues that like America's facing. And so one right. one of her speeches was just like you know. We don't we don't allow seventeen year olds um, to vote. Uh, they they can't legally vote. They can't uh, purchase alcohol. They can't legally smoke. Um, they can't do anything so much as get a license to drive. Mm-hmm. You know, they're legally in most states. Your your child is an adult at seventeen years old. You know, and um, we're trialing them as adults. We don't trust them to do anything um, progressive, you know, to the, to the country as far as voting and stuff like that, pay taxes and, and all that good stuff. But we can trust them uh, to make a decision that's going to put them in debt in, in the hundreds of thousands for the rest of their life. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, like and going I to kinda college. Relate, I kind of relate to that too. Yeah, like going to college and putting yourself in that much debt. I went to college and put myself in a lot of debt. Uh, I, you know, I was climbing out of it, but uh, so I went and did that. So, I got in trouble with the law and put myself in a lot of debt, and and I, you know, regressed all the progress that I had made uh, into becoming a citizen. All of that was taken away. So you know, you don't you don't trust me enough to be a citizen, but you trust me enough to pay taxes, to work here legally, to go to here legally. I just there there's got to be some kind of gray area there you know well i i I am curious you know considering the fact that you are deported you're not you're not living in the states anymore how far do these debts actually extend like by deporting you did the u.s or the college or the 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 local you know city or state government did did they all lose you know potentially you know thousands and thousands of dollars out of your wallet just because they wanted you gone like is, could that could that have been used to help you know restore justice in that case? Could that have been used, or or are you still paying it even though you're in Mexico now? Uh, well, I'm I'm sure there's um, there's some kind of discrepancy there, but um, my understanding is because because I was deported and technically I was still on probation. I um, actually yeah, when I, when I was in county and I was talking with the judge, um, I was allowed to continue my probation. In the event that I was uh, deported, and he he's looking at that, he's like, and there's a good. He he told me in my learning, he's like, look, there's a good chance he's going to be removed. Um, so if he comes back illegally, we're taking away his probation. He's he's going to have to do that prison time. Um, but if I come back illegally, uh, I'm still on probation, and I'll you know I'll, I'll have to report back to court, and I'll have to I'll be I'll be allowed to continue my probation pretty much. Um, so it's just it it's like it's been put on hold. I'm I'm more talking about like the debt, like the money that you're paying for college, the money that you were paying for your house, for your car. Like, did did every did did we end up losing a stream of of you know of revenue 
just due to poor immigration policy? Did we? Did we? I, I don't think it was lost. More so that like it was kind of put on hold. Okay. Um, obviously, because I'm I'm out of the country, I can't pay those um those fines and fees and stuff. But um, in that case, wouldn't your you know your car be repossessed? Your your home be repossessed? All I of owned, that. I own my car. Um, okay. Okay. My my house I was I was renting, so I mean. Okay. Um, but um, everything else, to my understanding, has you know has been put on hold. Um, there's really nothing I can do about it from here, uh-huh. uh, and it's not like they can you know prosecute or anything. Right. Here in Mexico, so. So it'd probably uh, be like something. Not- it'd probably be like something to where like if you did. Uh, some way somehow and maybe you can fill us in let us know if there is a way that you can come back to america uh work work on uh, becoming a citizen and so whenever that does happen you would start paying your debts again that i mean that that's that's where i'm headed now um i i do plan on coming back home uh you know there's it's it's not impossible but they sure as hell made it hard or made it seem like it's impossible it'll be the hardest thing you've ever done uh yeah yeah pretty much um basically the way that it's going to go down is um well okay so when when i left county and immigration took me uh they took me to a holding place in houston uh a detention center in houston um i don't know if you guys have seen the the series orange is the new black on netflix mm-hmm. or whatever but familiar um, towards like the end of the the last season um they uh, a couple of the girls got um were facing like they, they hit the the immigration topic mm-hmm. uh and they were like being deported and they were taken to these um concentration camps that uh, yeah 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 i remember so that. um they they introduced something on there uh called geo centers uh they have these new like immigration centers that are privately funded and privately owned um and uh basically they're they're just all over the, uh, the states now um i thought that was just something that was like in the show i didn't really like pay much attention to it but um, when I was when I was taken to Houston, I was taken to one of these centers. Uh, to my surprise, it was actually a pretty nice center. You know, there was like TVs in the holding cells, cold as shit. But you know, I got there and there was um, there was this like Jamaican dude with like a thick accent who was an officer there, which is kind of ironic to me. But right. um, <laughs> he, was, like, talking, he, he was like trying to explain to us. He's like, look, um, you know, there were some people that didn't speak English, so I kind of had to help. Because uh, as soon as they heard me speak English, they're like, oh, okay, you. Sp- perfect english okay uh yeah cool can you just let them know what i'm trying to say here and i'm like yeah yeah i got you so basically (laughs) he was like i you know we're gonna take your uh your property um we're gonna we're gonna get your fingerprints uh i'm gonna get you something to eat and uh you guys are just gonna wait there until you know our process gets um until you get processed in pretty much um hang on two seconds okay if you gotta leave soon i can probably continue you know Conversation. Okay. No, no, no. I'm good. I just, uh, I just had to open this really quick. So, okay. So he was like, uh, "We're gonna get you something to eat, and we're gonna take your fingerprints. Uh, and uh, if you guys have any questions, you know, we'll answer them and stuff, and we'll let you know what you're facing and uh, all that." Right now, it was actually a pretty quick process. Um, uh, relatively quick, uh, because you know, in county, it takes maybe like two, three days for you to get processed in and, and classified and all that good stuff, but. Uh, in immigration, it took maybe about four to six hours uh, to get everybody processed and stuff. Um, and there wasn't a lot of people. There was maybe like 10 people total. But um, I was the last one to, to get processed. And I went and I talked to the guy. He's like, have you ever been here before? And, you know, I told him, no, this is my first time and stuff. And 
he's like, okay, so for your particular case, uh, you know, everybody there got told immediately. They're like, yeah, you know, you'll, um, you'll, uh, you'll probably be removed uh, this week. Um, Mexico has some kind of agreement with the United States where they're loading up buses and there's a bus leaving New Mexico every single day. Yeah. And so um, they just kind of throw them over the border and, you know, good luck. But um, for my particular case, because it was my first time, you know, I had to see a judge. Um, I had to legally, I had to, he, he had to ask me, you know, what do you want to do? Do you want to fight your case? Uh, are you a citizen or what, you know, what's going on? With, or do you want to be deported or what's going on with you? So, um, all the people there that are, you know, repeating offenders, they probably got more time at it. You know, they were not, they were indemissible to the United States. They weren't allowed to come back legally. Um, it starts at like five years, then it goes to 10, 15, 20. Uh, and then eventually you get to a point where you're not allowed to, um, you're not allowed to come back. Uh, you're indefinitely banned in the United States. And so, um, they couldn't tell me right then and there, you know, after they got my fingerprints and stuff how uh because i had to see a judge how long it was going to be until i was able to come back so from from there i was waiting to be uh transferred over to next door uh-huh. a more rinky-dinky shitty facility um, yeah. i i was there maybe maybe a week uh at, at the new facility or at the the geo center um it was actually pretty nice you know they had really thick mats they gave you like two blankets they gave you like three different outfits they gave you sweaters and um they fed you pretty well three times a day like there was like a whole like there was whole like um there was like a salad bar even uh it was it was pretty nice i'm telling you uh, they they had it pretty good there so when i had to like transfer over it, it was like night and day difference we as soon as we got into that holding cell it was disgusting like there was mold all over the place there was like like still water you know like puddles of water and yeah. like leaking from the roof and stuff and like I, I was so afraid to like pick up the phone because there was like mildew on the phone and there was like stuff like growing in the phones and stuff and it was disgusting and um it, it was basically impossible to get a hold of your people because uh you got like one free phone calls um and then after that they had to set up an account only in the holding cells though and um they had to set up an account to talk to you and like per minute to talk to you i think it was like it was a ridiculous amount it was like it was like 6.99 or something per minute per to minute talk to somebody oh per minute God. to talk to somebody yeah in, in county it was like it was like 30 cents a minute or 50 cents a minute something like that um oh my god yeah in in the holding it was like 6.99 but when you got processed in and you got taken to um taken to like where you were going to be staying for a while because uh, when when you're in immigration you're, you're in it for the long haul you're like you're going to be in there for a minute so um it's like where i was it was like a it was like a room there was like a glass window like a really big glass window where like the guards weren't even in the rooms with you it was like no bigger than like the size of a one car garage uh like a one car garage and um there was 12 uh there were well six bunks uh it was a top and a bottom bunk there were six beds um, with 12 bunks. So it was a top and a bottom bunk. And there was at one time there was 12 people living in one uh, in one area. There was a there was a bathroom and then there was a shower next to the bathroom. Uh, two phones in there uh, and then a TV. And there was like a big glass window uh, that led out into the hall. Um, the the door was next to the glass window that led out into the hall where um, a hall monitor or a CEO or whatever. We just kind of walk by, look through the window, and you know, keep walking just to make sure that we were okay. 
but we were like in a little community living area, just kind of like pot up on top of each other like rats. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we it was 24 hour lockdown. We wouldn't leave at all unless, you know, they came and got us for like the library, um, attorney visits or um, uh, visitation days, um, haircuts, or to talk to one of the counselors or psychologists that were there. So y'all didn't um, have like a rec time or anything like that? We did, but um, they were kind of assholes. They would come in like uh, like early hours of the morning, like six o'clock in the morning when everybody was asleep and just kind of beat on the window with the sign that said um, indoor rec or outdoor rec or something like that. Um, and you know, nobody's awake at that time, so nobody was going. Uh, give me one second, sir. You good? You good? <laughs> uh, you gotta leave soon. Yeah, I will have to leave here in about okay. Probably about, uh, about five minutes. Cause I want to keep talking to him. Yeah, but, yeah um, go for it. I'm gonna have to tr- recharge the battery on my camera. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm gonna see if like maybe I can call him back in about an hour or something. Yeah, for sure. Still, like, a few things. Okay, so, anyway, um, I, I was there, uh, the first month I was there, you know, I got all my paperwork, um, they, they set up my coordinates and stuff, they had all my stuff came in from the county, you know, like, that I was on probation, my charge, and all that good stuff, um, I was basically getting, they were preparing me to get ready for the process to, uh, to meet with an immigration lawyer, um, I, I was there, Four months total. Uh, finally, uh, by the time I got to my um, my uh, my court date, uh, I was exhausted at that time. You know, I did. Um, I think it was nine. It was like ninety six days before I saw a judge. Um, you know, I was incarcerated, uh, sitting in that room. You know, like the fluorescent light. I was pale as crap, really malnourished. Um, I was exhausted at that point. I was like, you know what, just there's no way I'm fighting this, you know, because I was looking into my case. I was going to the library. I was looking online and stuff. I was talking to the lawyer and stuff. Um, and it just wasn't looking good for me because um, I didn't, you know, I wasn't a DACA recipient anymore and stuff. And I, I wasn't married um, technically because me and my girlfriend, uh, we fumbled the paperwork in, in county. Uh, we were, we, we signed the papers, but because uh, she didn't include my, uh, my specific and actual name, um, it it didn't go through correctly. So uh, when she was going to come back and give me the paperwork to re-sign, uh, I had already left for um, for immigration all the way in Houston. And so um, there wasn't any way that she was like, she was able to give me any paperwork while I was at the facility. So I wasn't able to sign or anything. So we kind of fumbled that. But, um, you know, I wasn't married. I didn't have any kids that were here and stuff. So I didn't really have a lot going for me. Um, and at that point, I was exhausted. And I was like, you know what, just... Go ahead and deport me. I'll fight my case from the outside. I, I don't want to be here another five months um, waiting for my next court date to fight my case only for you to tell me that I'm going to get deported. So um, I bit the bullet and I said, you know what, just go ahead and deport me. Um, when I when I signed, um, well, actually the week that I was supposed to be going to court, um, I don't know if you guys remember, there was like a news article saying that there was like, um, there was like a month outbreak uh-huh. In immigration holding, uh-huh. um, apparently there were some Cubans that came in with the mess. Uh, everybody uh, just kind of like got contaminated. 
I was the only one in my cell that got contaminated. Oh, no. And so, yeah, so the week of, you know, they they locked me in kind of like a holding cell. And um, I was like isolated. It was like a medical tank. Uh, I was just in there. Like, I, I couldn't get the TV to work. And so I was in there. Like, I had this like huge, like orange uh, bump on the side of my neck. And, Ugh. you know, I'm I, like, it's like hurting and I'm not really sure. I've never even heard of the little mumps to begin with. So I, I don't I don't know what that is, you know. Uh, I was denied medical attention for like three days or four days because um, they just stuck me in there and they weren't telling me anything. You know, the doctors weren't talking to me and, you know, I'm, I'm beating on the door because I'm scared out of my mind. You know, I don't know what's going on. And the only person that told me anything was a nurse that, that pretty much scared me because he looked up with the mumps were and he's, he's like, you, you could lose your hearing, dude. Um, I mean, you know me personally, you know, I'm yeah. really like, I'm a really big music fan and stuff. And so losing my hearing would just be like devastating. Devastating. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, um, they weren't trying to tell me anything. Um, finally, uh, the doctor came in, um, and was like explaining to me and she finally like told me that I was going to be on, on, uh, antibiotics and stuff like that. And so, um, I, I got my antibiotics. I was in there for a week. Uh, I'm I'm freaking out because I'm thinking, you know, like there's no way they're gonna let me go to court with the mumps and stuff. And um, I I I got to talking to one of the the sergeants in there, and they're like, "Look, you're fine. We're gonna put a mask on you and stuff like that. Uh, you don't have anything to worry. You're gonna go to court and stuff." Um, from word of mouth, from talking to some of the inmates in there, or from some of the detainees in there. Um, they were they were scaring me you know they were telling me they're like dude no if you're in here like they're not gonna let you go to court and stuff like that so the, the day of the morning of um it was it was time for me to go to court i had, I had a court date of 11 in the morning so you know i'm pressing the button to talk to the intercom and i'm like hey you know i have court after the court have nobody's gonna got me yet and they're like they're coming just wait or whatever you know two hours passed three hours past, four hours past, and finally by, by the fifth hour, I was like, yeah, they're, they're not going to let me go to court. I, I got to do something. So I started beating on the door, and uh, I talked to one of the guards. I was like, hey, if y'all don't let me out of here and go to court, I, I'm, I'm going to flood this place. And, you know, I, I had to get rowdy with them and stuff. And finally, the lieutenant came down, and he was like, what? He's like, why, why are you making all this noise, man? What, what's going on? I'm like, you, you guys have to let me go to court. Like, there's no way I'm missing my court date, man. I'm not going to be here for another month waiting on another court date. Um, and he was like, Hang on a second. Okay, sorry about that. Okay. Um, so, uh, so I talked to the lieutenant, and he's like, he's like, man, look, I got your mask. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm taking you. We, we had to wait for you to be the last one in there because we didn't want you to contact or get in contact with anybody or anything like that. So, um, we're just trying to contain the situation. And um, I was like, okay, was that so hard for you to like explain to me what was going on? You know, like you guys had me in here. First of all, I've been here like a week now with the mumps. Nobody's given me any information. Y'all gave me some antibiotics, but don't really tell me. I, I've never even heard of the mumps, you know? I'm scared out of my mind. I just want to go home, dude. And um, anyway, so he took me to court, and, um, you know, they, uh, it, was like a, it was like a little room with like a game. Oh, we're, we're losing you. What'd you say? TV. Is a little room with what? Um, there was like a like, it was like a little room with a TV, and um, he was like, he was like on on the on the projector or on the TV, 
and he was in a courtroom, but I was just kind of like in a in like a desk, mm. and um, they were like waiting for like translators and stuff like that. And so um, he couldn't see me, but I could see him. And so I, I, I spoke up, and I, uh, he was like, "Is he here? Does he is he going to need a translator?" And I was like, "I was like, I'm here, Your Honor." And I, I kind of took control of the situation. I was like, "I'm here. I speak perfect English. Uh, I understand you perfectly. I understand what's going on. Um, we don't have to wait for a translator." And he was like, "Okay, good." And um, so he basically read me all my rights and stuff that like I was facing and stuff. Uh, you know, it was me versus the United States and stuff like that. Um, because my 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 charge uh, was a crime of moral turpitude. Uh, I'm, uh, I, I might not be eligible for, um, for, uh, a waiver, mm-hmm. um, that it's, it's a pardon pretty much. Um, they gave me a, an inadmissible charge of 10 years, um, because I had the felony. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not allowed to re-enter the United States for 10 years. Uh, I can't even start a paperwork process or anything like that for 10 years. Man. Um, so, um, there's, there's kind of some, uh, some wiggle room there. Uh, some people are, are eligible to apply for, um, for pardons, you know, to get rid of that, that inadmissible charge, uh, for X amount of reasons. Um, I haven't really done much of research, but, uh, I'm, I am looking into it. Um, uh, I got to talk to my lawyer cause they would probably know the best. Like you said earlier, um, you know, they speak the language they know, they would know better than I would. Right, right. So, um, so my my plan would be, um, you know, get that pardon in. Uh, once once that pardon is in, um, it, you know, if it gets approved or not, if it gets approved, I'll try to do my process legally again. You know, I'll apply for a visa to come back home and stuff, and you know, I'll continue my probation and do it that way. Um, and if not, then you know, I have to sit out the ten years. Now, the kicker here is, once those ten years are up, after the ten years are over. Because my, my my charge was a crime of moral turpitude, I'm still gonna have to apply for a waiver anyway. Man. Um, yeah. So the ten years are up. I have to apply for that. Now I have to wait for that to get approved. Um, and then once that that is approved, um, you know, I I have a lot more going for me. You know, I've been out of state for ten years and stuff, and you know, I did you know I did my time such and such. Right. Um. So um. Speaking with my lawyer a, a little bit now, the only real way of coming home would be, you know, me being married to a citizen. Okay. Um, and and apl- applying for those pardons and applying for those um, with that. Um, so the, the day that I signed for my deportation, you know, I told him that I wanted to be deported. Um, about, it was about maybe like 12 hours or so somebody came uh with the forums and uh all my my property and stuff and uh, i was just pretty much waiting for somebody at night to come get me to put me on the bus um so i can go home um so they some u.s marshal basically came and told me if you take that mask off um we're gonna give you another charge um and and it's not gonna be pretty man uh, it's gonna be a federal charge because you're you're um, you're going to be contaminating people, but we're going to put a mask on you. And they, they, they put a mask on me. They, they sent me with my antibiotics and, um, they, they strapped me to a bus, um, for about 16 hours to be dropped off at the border. That whole week that I was in there, I wasn't able to send, um, any mail. I wasn't able to use the phone. So, um, I, I, I'm, 
Yeah, oh, we're losing you. Yeah. Uh, so they don't know anything about what's going on. Okay. Now we got you. You said they don't know anything about what's going on? Um, so, they, yeah, they didn't know anything about what's going on in my situation, as far as I know, right? Uh, thankfully, you know, my girlfriend was pretty on top of the situation. She kept track of where I was and stuff, and, you know, she was calling the, the teaching center just to, to see where I was and stuff. And so, um, she got hold of my parents. My dad, um, my dad was actually waiting at the border for me, uh, thankfully. Um, and so he went and picked me up at the border uh, about two hours later after I arrived. Um, when he got there, we were uh, we were in a pretty, pretty intense and, and um, dangerous part of Mexico. Uh-huh. And so as soon as we got there, uh, it's probably the most dangerous city in Mexico. It's uh, in Laredo, Texas. Uh, we're not, uh, it's on the other side of Laredo, Texas. Uh, it's called Nuevo Laredo, but... Um, we we got there and immediately got stopped by a cartel uh and like got apprehended pretty much um they knew immediately that i was here deported um and they were you know they were trying to tell my dad um you know like we we know he's deported do you want him to go back because you know we have ways to get him back illegally um or, or we can cross him illegally too it just depends on how much you're willing to pay or whatever and he's like no you know he's he's gonna go down to guadalajara you know he's gonna go visit some family and stuff so you know i'm just gonna take him and they were like, well, look, we, we have a control here, so we have to know who's coming in and out. Uh, you know, I have to call my boss and, you know, see if you're okay or whatever. But he, he's like, are you guys citizens? It was him and my uncle that were going to pick me up. So they asked them, are, are you guys citizens? And they're like, yeah, we're, we're both citizens. We're from the other side. And they're like, is he? And they're like, no, he's, he's from here. And they're like, okay. So they called their higher up, I guess. Um, and he was like, so how old is he? And they're like, he's, he's 26. Uh, or he's 25. And, um, and okay, and the dad and the uncle, and the, uh, he was like, yeah, they're, they're both citizens. And they're like, and, and the kid's not. No, he's not. All right, we'll go ahead and take him and um, let, let the other two go. And my dad was like, well, hang on, hang on a second. Like, uh, you know, what do I do?